I want to read some words from Scripture that Gary's going to be preaching about shortly. We've been in this series um, looking at the story of Scripture, saying the story we live in is the story we live out, picking out some of the, if you like, the DNA points of the Bible story and, and how they are so intrinsic to our lives today. And, and this glimpse of the early church has to be a DNA point. It has to be one of the key story moments that wasn't just for then, but ripples through into our lives today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up, turn it on, and follow along with me from Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 42. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. Peter has just preached probably one of the best sermons ever preached. And then we get this glimpse. Listen now for God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we're going to do later on in the service, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. As Gareth said, we've been looking at this great unfolding uh, story that we live in and live out. Uh, the story of the Bible. And over these past few weeks, we've seen the, some defining moments in that story. Um, you know, Jesus, his, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And Gareth preached about that last week. And uh, so from the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been applying that gift of salvation to people. And he has been reconciling fallen humanity back into right relationship with God the Father and connecting us into the body of Christ, the church, for order, in order for us to live out this story together for God's glory. That's the plan. So we live in between the day of Pentecost and the day when Jesus will return uh, to judge the world and to, to take the church unto himself. And I suppose the question for us then really is, in between, how are we to live as church? How are we to live as a church that reflects Jesus into the world around us, that reflects His goodness and grace and truth that we've been singing about into the world around us? How are we to do that as church? And that's what we're going to look at this morning for a few moments, the, the church and how we are to live in the in-between times. Now, the church, if you, if you look through your New Testament, you'll see it's variously described as the body of Christ as an army, a family, a community, the saints, a temple, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the new Jerusalem, and the bride of Christ. And there may be others, I may have missed them, and they all give us a picture of what the church is like. You see, the wonder of it all to me is that by the unity of the Spirit drawing us together, then everyone who believes in Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension for them is the church. We are the church. And I would say that there is no greater privilege, no greater privilege than to be counted amongst God's people and to be a member of the church. 
being part of and, and, and sharing and living out this epic God story together. And you know, sometimes in conversation, people will say to me, oh, Gary, the, the modern-day church has kind of lost its way, and we need to get back to the ways of the early church. And I'd say, yes, there, there have been times, and there are times when we, because we are the church, when we've made mistakes and got things wrong, and we don't always live up to that high calling that Jesus has given us. We are, after all, a fellowship of sinful people, sinful but forgiven people. And you see, there are times that when in that early church that we tend to look at through rose-tinted glasses, there were times when they got it wrong. Uh, just look at Paul's letters to the first century church in, in Corinth or Colossae, and, and look at the issues that he's addressing in those letters. And I'd also want to say that I wouldn't want to dismiss 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years of Holy Spirit activity as God has been working in and through the church, 2,000 years when the church has been at the forefront of advances in the fields of health and social care, of promoting education and the arts, of fighting poverty and making peace, of holding forth gifts of faith and hope and love in a, and eternal life into a world that is needy and hurting and dying. But of course, you see, we have always got something to learn or something to be reminded of by going back and studying the early church. And we have a wonderfully informative, inspiring, and challenging glimpse into the life of the early church here, as Gareth has said in these few verses from Acts chapter 2, which we're looking at this morning. I love the book of Acts. It's just so well action-packed, isn't it? Acts 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven onto the church. And just at the end of Acts 2, the church is starting to take shape. And look at the bottom line. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, who amongst us doesn't want that? You see, no, numbers aren't everything, but numbers are important because numbers are people. And people are important. And don't we want everyone to hear and to respond to the good news of the gospel, to be saved from sin and death, to be added to the church, and to start to live in this wonderful God story? Now, there is no magic formula for this, but what can we learn from the early church as we long and as we pray and work for this? So, first of all, we see the early Christians, verse 42, they devoted themselves they devoted themselves. Now, this is where we must start. What does it mean to be devoted? Well, the word used here is the same word that is used to speak of the offering in the temple. The burnt offering was devoted to God. It was a sacrifice. It was completely consumed. It was completely given over to Him. So, to be devoted is to be completely given over to, to, to hold nothing back. So when they're reflecting Jesus into the world, the early church give themselves over completely, just as Jesus gave himself over completely for us, even to death on a cross. This is what devoted looks like. So they give themselves over completely to what? Well, we see verse 42 again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Who were the apostles? The apostles were that very first group of Jesus' disciples, the people who actually lived with Jesus, the people who actually witnessed firsthand his life, his teaching, his miracles, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascensions. And the, the apostles were the people 
who wrote this. This is the apostles' teaching. The apostles wrote this. So what the early church devoted themselves to was to reading, to studying, to learning, and to applying to their lives. And just as Jesus is the word, excuse me, just as Jesus is the word of God made flesh, just as Jesus was found in the temple, even as a boy listening to the teachers teaching the scriptures, just as Jesus quoted scripture regularly, just as Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus read, studied, learned, applied the Word of God. So did the early church. So will we. That's why we have as one of our priorities here at Orangefield, God's Word. We read our Bibles. This is the God story. This is the God story. This is the story that we seek to live in and to live out. This is the story, but it's also the roadmap, the guidebook, the love letter, the prophetic oracles, the history book the song sheet, the prayer book, and the good news, the good news of the gospel. This is it. And you see, the Bible, folks, the Bible is not just about information. No, it's about transformation because it's about restoration. I read one story of a, of a guy in prison in England, and the Gideons came along. You heard of the Gideons. They came along and to the prison, and they were giving out their little Gideon's New Testaments. And, and this guy took one, not because he had any interest in the New Testament, but because he thought the paper would be just perfect for his rolling up cigarettes. Okay? This little book would be just right for that. So he ripped out a page, and he made a cigarette, and it worked just perfectly. And so over the next few days, he smoked his way through Matthew, and look. Matthew and Mark, and look. And he was just starting into John. And he ripped the page out and he was starting to roll up a cigarette and something caught his eye. And he started to read. And he read from John 3 and verse 16. And he read this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believed in him will not perish but have eternal life. Folks, the light came on, the penny dropped. He trusted in Jesus there and then. He received the gift of eternal life. And he hasn't made another really since. Now he's been reading it now instead. Transformation, restoration, God's Word. The Bible, information, transformation, restoration. So we will want to be reading our Bibles. We may want to download an app for our phone or use Bible reading notes, and we can arrange to have those for you. If you would like to get them, just let us know in the office. And if we can, if we possibly can, we will want to be part of a home group or a CBE group studying the Bible together in person or by Zoom. And again, if you're not already connected in, then be in touch with us and we'll help you to do that. And we'll want to be coming to church or tuning in online to hear the Bible read and explained Sunday by Sunday. 
So the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and we see continuing on in verse 42 that they also devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reading on, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, to community, to sharing. You see, prayer, breaking of bread, the caring for one another, to fellowship, community, sharing everything for one another. And it says that everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Again, Gareth preached on signs and wonders a few weeks ago, 21st of March. If you want to go back and revisit that or learn more about signs and wonders, that's the place. Go have a look on the website. And there were a variety of different signs and wonders performed by the apostles. But you know, I think that the greatest sign of all, the greatest wonder, the one that spoke most clearly to a watching world was probably this wonder of self-sacrificing Christian love that was shared amongst the brothers and sisters in the church community. You see, Jesus had said, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you see, in obeying Jesus, in acts of selflessness in a selfish world, in acts of sharing in a world of greed, in acts of humility in a world of pride, in acts of inclusion in a world of exclusion. You see, that surely was and still is a wonder-filled sign to a watching world. A powerful sign of the grace of God at work, a mark of the church of Jesus Christ. In the second century, church father Tertullian, he quoted local contemporaries as saying, look at how these Christians love one another. And you see, look at what we have here as well. People in Jerusalem from all over the known world at Pentecost, at the time of our reading, people from many different tribes and tongues and nations and languages. And as they came to faith in Jesus, they put all those differences behind them. There were other groups who were identified by their, their race or their color or their, their you know, class or by the way they dressed or whatever. But these guys, no, none of those things mattered. One in Christ. Love in action. And it made an impression on the city. Jerusalem wouldn't be the same again. The world wouldn't be the same again. Intentional, loving Christian community. Little colonies of heaven. That was how the first century church spread right across the Mediterranean basin. That was how the church spread across these islands. That was how the early Celtic church here operated. The church was at the center and the people shared their lives, their faith, their possessions, and other people wanted in on it. Of course they did. They tasted and saw that God was good. And it was good to be part of his people. 
And the church grew and the gospel spread right across these islands. It's a radical and challenging way to live, but it makes a powerful statement to the world. And of course, we will want to be building community here at Orangefield, here in Castlereagh, or wherever we live, reflecting something of the unity and love and care that we see in Christian community, that we see in God who is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and which speaks so powerfully to a world that is so fractured and so divided and so broken and sick of it and needing and wanting wholeness and unity and community. And so we have, as one of our priorities, God's people, we care for one another. And I see that happening at Orangefield. I do. I do, and it's thrilling and it's heartwarming. I see how many of you are building community, going out of your way, particularly over this past difficult year of lockdowns, to get connected and stay connected to help one another through this past year of COVID. And I like to think that this building as well, this building reflects something of the values of the New Testament church, a place that people have generously shared their finances to build, a place where people graciously share their lives and their faith and their resources, a place of missional Christian community at the heart of the local wider community. Of course, as church We do these things out in the world as salt and light, but this building can be something of a hub, a center, a launch pad for caring and sharing for ministry and mission in the world. And in these days, in these days when we can't yet meet or use the building as much as we once did or as much as we hope to again in the future, We will want to continue to be connected in our sharing and in our caring as best we can. Perhaps a socially distanced garden visit or a walk, a phone call or a Zoom meeting, a card or a message, but we will seek to to get connected and stay connected and caring, connected and compassionate. That will be our aim. So in this passage, we see the early growing church prioritizing the apostles teaching the Word of God. We see them prioritizing fellowship, caring for one another by the sharing of their resources and community. What else do we see them devoting themselves to? Verse 42, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Breaking bread, praying, praising. The church here in Acts 2 are prioritizing opportunities for encounter with the living God. That's what they're focusing on here when they're breaking bread and praying and praising God. And when we are, when we are taking communion, Jesus said of the bread and wine, this is my body and this is my blood. And when we are drawing near to God in prayer or when we are singing to God, to a God whom the psalmist tells us inhabits the praise of his people. When we are doing these things, we open ourselves to God and we meet with him in a special way, in a way that we don't when we aren't. And so here at Orangefield, we too prioritize the presence of God and we hunger for his spirit. And as I was saying, Gareth was speaking on the spirit last week, so I'm not going to spend too long on this point. 
But interestingly too, have you noticed where they were encountering God? Verse 46, in the temple courts, in the church building, if you like. And also in their homes, in home groups. And as and when we are able to, we will want to be doing the same. You see, some people come to church or tune in on a Sunday, but they never commit to a home group. Well, according to the Bible, according to this model here in Acts 2, that's not imitating the life of the early church or of Jesus, who often met with people in homes. And some other people just attend house churches or home groups and don't come to church or tune in on a Sunday. But likewise, neither is that imitating the early church, who it tells us met in the temple courts. Or Jesus, whose custom, Luke chapter 4 tells us, was to regularly attend Sabbath worship at the synagogue. You see, Jesus and the early church, they had this lovely balance, not of either or, but both and. It wasn't either or, it was both and. They understood the value, the necessity of both meeting in the temple or synagogue, in the church building for the larger worship meetings with God. And they also understood the value, the necessity of meeting in their own homes for that more intimate meetings with one another and with God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, of course, knew the importance of that union with God, saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I and the Father are one. And so then, how does this passage finish? Verse 47, and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, this tells us, I believe, something of the church's relationship with the world. They worked on building good relationships, which won them favor with the world around them. And they did this by loving their neighbor. And that love that they showed and that favor that they enjoyed allowed them then to share and demonstrate the story of God. And the people around them found their word-shaped, spirit-filled, love-exuding witness simply irresistible. Irresistible. And God saved and drew into the church people from the world around them. That's why we too have God's world as one of our priorities here at Orangefield. Seeking to love our neighbors. And we want to love our neighbors, whether that's our neighbor who lives across the street or our neighbor who lives across the globe. And we have a number of different ways that we're supporting prayerfully and practically neighbors locally and globally. For instance, our youth work team were back out again, prayer walking and having socially distant chats with teenagers in, in Clondoff and Clarawood on Friday evening. With the food bank, a new ministry that we started during lockdown. And so far, we've been able to provide almost 100 local families with emergency food packs over these past few months. And as I said, as we're moving out of lockdown, we're compiling a, a list of local businesses, shops, services that we want to be supporting in the days ahead. Keep an eye out for that or let us know of people who should be on it, businesses that we can support. And loving our neighbors globally as well, as Gareth has already alluded to, those terrible scenes in India, just heartbreaking. But we... This morning, just before this service, we had a, a, a prayer time for India and for our partners there, and I am cares. And the people of Orangefield have recently 
generously provided IM Cares with a vehicle to be able to take the ministry and mission and the love and healing and grace of God out to some of the poorest of the poor in India. We're also partnering with Fields of Life in Uganda with Helping Hands in Greece with Tear Fund in Mali and with a number of other overseas ministries and missions. We want to take our responsibility to love our neighbors seriously. You see, that's what the early church did. They literally loved their neighbor into the church because that's what God does. Remember, for God so loved the world. And as the unbelieving neighbor saw how they loved and cared for others, the church became like a magnet. It was like a magnet. In a barbaric first century world where it was every man for themselves, where it was dog eat dog, here were people sharing everything and loving and caring for one another. And did you notice they weren't just sharing a little bit of the surplus? They were selling their belongings and providing for those in need. And it was irresistible. The cost was high, devoting everything to God, sharing everything with one another, joining together in community, becoming members of the one body, the church. And I think, too, that this verse tells us that the the early church understood the value, the importance, the necessity of church membership. It says here, the Lord added daily to their number. You see, someone was obviously counting. Somebody was starting to do the admin in the church. We see church membership also alluded to in other parts of the New Testament where it talks of people being chosen from amongst their number, clearly demonstrating there were people in the church and people that weren't in the church. And just a few chapters on in in the book of Acts, elders are installed and, and what is effectively a congregational committee is formed. Church organization and membership, you see, was and is important for fellowship, encouragement, accountability, ministry, and mission together. And we're going to be running our next new members' classes soon, starting on Sunday evening, the 9th of May. So if you're not already uh, uh, committed to full church membership here or elsewhere, then why not register through the office and join us and explore in an informal way what it means to be a full church member here at Orangefield. We'd love to have you with us. So just as I finish, we see in Acts chapter 2 how the early church lived. We have much to learn from it. We live in the in-between time of the birth of the church at Pentecost and the return of Christ for His church at His second coming. And if we are listening up to the Word of God and the leading of His Spirit, then we will not be surprised to find that the priorities in 21st century Orangefield are the same as the priorities in 1st century Jerusalem, which are the same as the priorities of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why we prioritize His presence. We hunger for His Spirit. His Word, we read our Bibles. His people, we care for one another. His world, we love our neighbors. And so today, today we ask Him to continue to challenge, to inspire, and to equip us to live out the calling that He has placed upon us, to be His church, 
His body, his army, his family, his community, his saints, his temple, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his beautiful bride. Until he comes or calls. And he gets all the glory. Amen.